Today, we have Eric Wilson, bassist of Sublime, on the show. We talk a lot about the early days of Sublime, including their formation in Long Beach, California, their grassroots growth before Bradley Knowles' passing, and then, of course, their massive success that followed. We also talk about what Eric is up to today with Sublime with Rome, and also a new project he's got going called Spray Allen. Audio is a little rough on this one. It's remote. He's driving. But regardless, I really enjoyed this conversation. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Wilson. Eric Wilson, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Going well. All right. I'd love to start with some early background. So you and Bud go way back. How early are you guys friends? And then when do you guys start playing music together? Um, We were friends in uh, like seventh grade. He was in eighth grade. He moved from uh, Lake Tahoe down to um, Belmont Shore and Long Beach, where I, where I grew up. And um, he lived across the alley from me. My dad did drum lessons in the garage, and he started taking lessons. He lives right, right across from the alley. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, is your dad, did, did he, does he have a long history of playing drums or teaching drums? Oh, yeah. Okay. He was, um, well, my dad was like 60 when I was born. So if he was alive today, he'd be over 100 years old. But, uh, he grew up in the, during the Depression, and um, he, he, he already started playing drums in my grandfather's band. And so he got on a cruise ship during the Depression. And then when he got back from that, the Second World War started, and, and he joined the, I mean, the uh, Coast Guard band. And then he, he played in the big band era and stuff. And um, later on, when I, was, when I was born in 70, he, he was uh, in the Long Beach Municipal Band, a city paid band. And, um, and he did, like, moonlighting gigs and that. Uh, drum lessons in the garage and stuff wow that's that's great really cool history yeah he retired with a pension like city pension okay all right so so how did bud end up with drum lessons instead of you or did you take them too well first my dad he bought me a trumpet and he said uh he said here play this because you don't have you don't have to carry a bunch of drums around (laughs) (laughs) smart (laughs) but i didn't really like the trumpet though yeah okay all right so when does the bass come in when i was just a little bit before I met Bud, actually, um, I, I was playing guitar, and um, my brother got an organ because he was taking guitar lessons, and, um, or I mean, uh, piano lessons, and um, and a bass guitar came with the the organ, so so I, I grabbed it and uh, started messing with it. It was like a a knockoff of an SG. Really? So it was some sort of package deal where it, it they, the two instruments came together? Yeah, but. I think when they bought it, they didn't, it didn't say anything about bass with it, but it just came with it. He got it out of the Recycler magazine back in the day. Oh, that's crazy. And the rest is history. Yeah. All right. And then, so you and, you and Bud are playing in punk bands in high school, correct? Yeah. And you have Miguel on vocals? No, Miguel didn't come around until later on. He was, we were already sublime when he, when he came out. Like, we were playing at a um, pizza place at Cal State Long Beach, and... Um, we basically played for beer and pizza, but we started like packing the place, and then and then um, Mike came and he uh, approached us to to record 
some songs because he was taking a studio class at Cal yeah. State Lagunas Hills. Okay, so Bradley was already on vocals. Yeah. How did you guys meet? Um, it was a trip. Um, my friend Dave Dak and I, this like heavy metal dude guy that was into like uh, he was into the whole New York Dolls thing. Um, uh, like I went to a, a gig one time and let him use my bass app and. He came out of the dressing room all dressed in drag. That's how that's how uh, that's how the New York Dolls did it, you know. Yeah. And that was a trip in itself. But that guy called me and he um he he told me, hey man, I got I know this dude that I don't know where he been, but he said I know this guy that lives in Naples, um, and I think you guys would play really good together. And I'm like, wow, really? So I went over there with him, and and then we hit it off. So, did you say Naples? Yeah. Is that in Long Beach? Another place in Long Beach? We, yeah, it's okay. like a pretty cool neighborhood there that has like canals like Naples and Italy, you know. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha. All right. So are you, you're pretty much playing punk music. Is it Bradley that brings in the ska and the reggae element? Yeah, yeah. He um, he went went on a um, trip with his dad like to the Caribbean islands and, and learned about reggae when he was gone and he came back and, and he started showing me that stuff. And I wasn't, I wasn't into it at first because I was into punk, but after a while, I just got, I, you know, I finally opened up my horizons for all sorts of music, especially that. Well, that's interesting because I know you have that punk background, but I feel like you have such a niche and a knack for the, for your style, which is such a, like more of a reggae style. Was it hard to transition over to a, a more of a reggae style bass playing? Yeah, but I wasn't, I wasn't really doing anything. Um, I was just playing, you know, some punk songs and then I started playing like ska songs in a band with Brad um, called Sloppy Seconds and we played uh, we played some covers like specials and um, English Beat and stuff like that Fishbone by then I think first Fishbone album came out yeah and style wise you felt pretty comfortable just moving right into that direction yeah it's just, yeah I just started learning about it and as soon as I started liking it is when I started getting good at it <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny. I've had conversations with people trying to figure out how punk and ska first came together. Uh huh. I know, like you know, in Northern California, Operation Ivy had their own kind of mix of the two. Oh yeah, and then, sure. yeah. That's around the same time. Then Southern California at this time, you guys and no doubt are in the space, but sort of in your own ways. But yeah, was there already a tradition of punk and ska going together that that you remember? Uh, no, like maybe the closest thing would be kind of like Clash, but I wouldn't say ska. It'd be more. It's like kind of like their own reggae type of reggae. So. Yeah. Um, bad, bad brains, but uh, bad brains was, wasn't doing ska either. They were doing reggae and punk, but they were doing like a reggae song and then a punk song and a metal song. They weren't like combining the two. Right. What do you? So you guys, you guys were sort of at the at the forefront then, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It kind of makes sense to me. Like if if they're both genres say say punk and reggae that are that are embedded in the surf culture maybe that it's just kind of a matter of time before you get some crossover yeah but yeah i guess we were it was all new to us and i mean you know we were just trying different stuff and and uh that, if we could put it together and it sounded really good yeah what other bands are you guys playing with in those early days um we played with social distortion one of the early shows when Mike Ness was on drugs. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds like he made an impression. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He started that whole eye makeup thing too, I think, around 
at least the Southern California thing. Yeah. You know, like Green Day kind of does it now. Right, right. Seems like there's this sort of like real respect, like a pride with these lo- local Long Beach bands when you guys are growing up. Like you guys, even even the songs you guys cover, you cover some some other local Long Beach bands. Oh yeah, like Song Rattles. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it was a pretty tight knit scene or supportive scene. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's not where I live now. There's not much of a scene, and and there wasn't much of a scene when I left Long Beach. It's kind of why I left. Yeah. Um, but it used to be like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, in those early days, how determined were you guys to make playing music your livelihood? Like, was it something you guys were really passionate about, about making it happen? Yeah, I think Brad probably thought more of a, making a living for it, but, uh, but I, was just, I was just having fun, and I wasn't thinking about how I was going to make a living, you know? I was just living for the moment. So, but Brad was, was a little more determined? Well, his dad had him going to um, business, class, business school, and... Um, and his dad wanted him to be a contractor and stuff. So he was thinking, I don't want to do that. I want to play music. And his dad thought it was a joke that he was going to try to make a living doing that. Okay. I think I can speak for a lot of people of my age in saying Sublime is like the soundtrack to some of our best years in life. You guys just became such a part of the culture of the time and, and beyond, obviously, today. But did you guys have a feeling you were onto something big? Like was was there any way to foresee that people were just ready for what you were doing? Um, I don't know. We whatever like you know, heaven that we got, we thought we deserved it. You know, um, but I didn't know how how big it was going to get. Like it was, you know, it was when it was when Brad passed away is when we really got big. Anyways, so it was kind of a bittersweet. You know? Right. But before that, like in the beginning, are you do you? build up a fan base pretty quickly around the Long Beach area? You know, that, oh, yeah. Long Beach, yeah. Was, we had it locked down like real quick and then we started doing tours up the East Coast, or, I mean the West Coast and and uh, and we even did a Florida tour and uh, yeah, and and, and we, we played a Nobody on the Florida tour but uh, we had a fan base on the West Coast and stuff. The, the first uh, East Coast tour was the 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 first uh, warp tour, and that was the only that was the only tour that Brad ever went on 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 a bus, and we shared it with another band. Yeah, yeah, you guys, yeah, first warp tour, summer '95. So you yep. guys were somewhat infamously on that tour. Sounds like you guys added some color to the tour for sure. Oh yeah. So so at that point, I know you know living in California and being tapped into the scene. You know, I remember how influential and popular you guys were here. But what was it like? across the country was it not evenly spread yet you were still more of a west coast band we were yeah pretty much but we had played like um in chicago and we won the the uh the fans over there when we played with wesley willis Willis and the fiasco i think that was actually right before the warp tour so yeah so like the great lakes area that we we did you know we started getting a fan base okay but it was ultimately west coast yeah yeah was there an official reason you guys left the Warp Tour? Was it was it Lou Dog biting people, or was it something else? Yeah, it was. Well, Bud and Brad were getting in fights all the time and um, with themselves, and um, Brad's dog bit like it was bit like a pro skater, like, but he also bit some other guys before that. So yeah, we got thrown off. Okay, the so the I mean the peak of Sublime's commercial success obviously happened after the band broke up. But when you think back to when you when you were playing 
Is there a time or an era that you look back on most fondly? Yeah, probably like back then, like actually the, the, the three ring, what do we call it? The three ring circus. It was, uh, it was us, Lords of Brooklyn and, um, Wesley Willis and the fiasco. That was like, that was the most memorable tour, memorable tour. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, it was just so much fun. We're like touring around with a schizophrenic big old black dude that plays in a band with old white guys. And, um, <laughs> you know, and we just had like a, lot, a bunch of experiences that we shared with those guys. And it yeah. was great. Yeah. Yeah. Are there moments now or I guess in the past when it, when it hit you, like when you'd realized the, the level of impact that Sublime has had musically and even culturally? Yeah, what I, what I really, you know, what really makes me trip out is um, there's like three generations, like say the mom and the daughter and the grandma are all at our show, you know, like asking for an autograph or whatever, you know. Wow. Totally yeah. That's amazing. So you guys have had this, you had this drive to make it. This is kind of prompted. I was just watching your, I just revisited your documentary, Stories, Tales, Lies, and Exaggerations. Okay. And, and uh, you know, I had seen it when it first came out, but it was really fun to watch it again. And you guys have this drive to make it, to push your music. But there's also this like very casual, some might say even reckless way of operating. So here's, yeah. a, here's a small example. Like in the, in the documentary, one of your managers, John Phillips, tells this story where you guys are having a meeting when you're getting signed with Gasoline Alley and you bring oh, a bunch of beer and dogs in the office and he sort of paints this like, like circus scene going on in there. Yeah. And you guys, you guys put a, a sticker on the president's car, but was, was there ever a worry of like setting back your careers or how do those two things go together? We were just kids and we weren't even thinking about like, like, you know, tomorrow really, you know, it was more like just live for the moment. So. Yeah. We were just knucklehead kids, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, passionate about your careers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But we didn't even know, I didn't even know what a career meant back then, really. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, I guess if you guys acted too professionally, you'd be something else, something different from what Sublime genuinely was. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about your bass playing a little bit. Uh, we, we mentioned it a little bit. Do you, ever, do you ever play with a pick in like some of the more no. punk stuff? You've always just used your fingers? Yeah, I can't keep track of picks, so okay. why bother? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, I just so I just learned how to play with my fingers, you know, just as well. I kind I did. I like like some bass players. I, I really did the way like Mike Water, Randy Bradbury from Pennywise, or um, a bunch of guys like you know use a pick on punk songs, and it's great. But uh, I yeah, I just haven't really messed with it. Yeah, um, how about? If someone wanted to to get sort of an Eric Wilson bass sound, are there any tips like EQ settings, equipment, or anything that come to mind? Pretty much, just um, I usually I, I to get a good bass like like low end bass sound for reggae. I just uh, I I use active pickups, you know, and um, and then so, you know it gives it more of a boost, and and I just put all the knobs up on the bass and. And uh, just turn everything in the middle, pretty much turn it up. Well, I was a little before someone started getting mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Do you do you have a main bass right now? Yeah, um, it's a Leva Capala. Okay. It's like a, it's one of those handmade jobs that, that's like a knockoff handmade of a Fender P bass. Oh, okay. 
All right. Hey, how do your songs usually get written? Like would would like in the past, would you or Bradley bring an idea to to band practice and then you guys flesh it out from there? Yeah, or we'll just we'll just play we'll someone will come up with like a I mean like Brad would usually come up with some lyrics and you know, a couple of chord changes and then we'll just work on you know, structure, put the song together. And then like and also we'd use it sometimes we use like a Doctor Rhythm drum machine and just um, you know, take that to the table and then go off that. Yeah. But the best the best music is always when you know, when you have brotherhood and, and then also when you collaborate with the brotherhood. <laughs> yeah. Well I was wondering how how loose your songs were arrangement wise. You know, sometimes it's hard to it, you've it's got that vibe when you play live. Uh, uh-huh. but then you guys always nail the changes and land the endings. So you know, sometimes like in the old videos, it seems like you and Bud are holding it down, good, you know, bass and drums, and you sort uh-huh. of give give Bradley some latitude to sort of uh, express himself in the moment and, and a little more more freedom. Does that sound about right? Yeah, sounds about right. Hey, where did you guys practice originally? Well, we used to practice at Bud's house in Lakewood um, a long time ago, and then then there's then there's a bunch of like uh, rehearsal places in the. Uh, Long Beach area, or Wilmington, stuff like that. Yeah, wherever they let us. How how written or worked out are the songs usually when you get into the studio? The studio as in recording studio. Yeah, for recording studio, like is everything pretty much nailed yeah. down, or do you do a lot of the? It, it varies, but we a lot of it we work out of practice, and other other times we we just do it right there on the spot. Speaking of studio, just you know your your self titled Sublime album, the your third album. Yeah, reports are that it wasn't like the most uh sober of recording sessions but by the sounds of it 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 sounds so well executed was it hard to get those takes in the studio um well we had paul larry was a producer Uh um, of the the guitar player the butthole surfers and um, he really brought out the best of us you know like he he would make sure that that everything was you know at, at its very best and he's really really easy to work with Who's the most critical? Who's the most critical in the studio? Is there someone who's who's really more likely to make sure you get the takes? Paul Leary. Okay. <laughs> nice. Do you have a favorite album that you've ever done? I, I think maybe like Robin the Hood. I don't know. Yeah. I think right. the best recorded album was the self-titled. You know, the best quality and all that. Sure, sure. sure. But uh, Robin the Hood's like fun. Were you already signed when Robin the Hood was recorded, or? No, we had a distributor back then. I can't remember the name, but um, they they were like they were fronting the money for us to get more get more made. You know, the, the CDs or maybe it was cassettes then. Yeah. Um, and so, like, so we didn't have to worry about coming up with the cash. They would just front it to us when we came back. Yeah. So we were like, we were selling them out of the, our trunk of our car, and the record companies had they, they had to sign us. Like, like you were saying, how the record companies, um, you know, we go to their meetings and stuff. Yeah. And like a joke, well, we were already doing it on our own. So they were like, we made it hard for them at the same time. That's true. You do go in with some leverage if you already have that much success on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I remember. It was, it, was, it was a West Coast success. It wasn't like, you know, uh, worldwide by far. You know? Yeah. So maybe Robin the Hood's your favorite. Do you have a favorite Sublime with Rome album? Um, the last one that we did. Yeah. It's really good. And the next one that we're going to make is this fall. <laughs> Have you started that? 
Uh, we've been throwing some ideas around, it's, it's, but um, I think it's going to be really good because we've been, we've been uh, playing together really well, and um, you know, everybody's in the right space, you know? Seems yeah, like. that's great. How did you meet Rome Ramirez? It was kind of a trip. We were at, I was at this, um, I was playing drums in a psychedelic band called Stonewing, and, and the guy that owned the studio, uh, the guy that played drums, or the guy that played bass owned the studio, and um, he was recording at the time Rome's girlfriend's band, or yeah. not her band, but her solo thing. And, uh, okay. He was at the studio, and he was a huge Sublime fan, and he wanted to play some Sublime songs with him. So we started jamming together and shit. Yeah, what a fortunate coincidence. Yeah, he was really good. I mean, he is really good, you said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, what was it about him that, that made such an impression? I don't know. It, it's, it just, like, was, it, it was, like, flawless. Like, you know, like, you, I could just close my eyes and it sounded like I was there. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. All right, let's take a quick break and come back and talk about the present. Check out Ernie Ball's new VP Junior Tuner Pedal, the perfect two-in-one pedal, combining Ernie Ball's world-renowned super rugged volume pedal with a super fast and accurate chromatic tuner with an enhanced definition touchscreen. Available in silver, red, white, and black. Visit ErnieBall.com to learn more. Let's talk about the present. Uh, we're obviously in a weird time where there's not much live music happening, but what is life like right now, and, and what projects are you involved in? Um, I'm recording a band called uh, Spray Allen. That we, um, two, two guys from New York, the, the singer is uh, Danny Lawner, and, and um, the guitar player is Eric, Eric uh, Sherman. And they're from a band called uh, Late Night Episode. And they, they were getting really big, and then they broke up. And then I met them through uh, the pro skater Danny Way. Okay, and, and then um, and uh, Wade Human, the drummer for uh, what was it uh, Unwritten Law? He lives he lives like pretty close to me, and so we got together. Actually, Wade Wade uh, introduced me to the two guys of the band, Eric and Lawner, through Danny Way, and then we started recording. And I I just told I asked them if they didn't want to stay at my house because they were kind of just like couch surfing at the time. So they've been. During the, and that was before the pandemic thing, and then once it, it was it locked down, we were we were locked down in the, in the house, and we, so we just started recording, and we just we coming up with these amazing songs. Like we're going to Sonic uh, Ranch. I don't know if you've ever heard of that place, but it's in um, El Paso, Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we're just going to retrack all the stuff that has the live drums because I don't really have a that great of a you know studio, but just like. We we did some stuff that sounds really good because it has a time the drum machine, but the um, the live drums just don't sound that good. And so we're gonna have Paul Leary, that went uh, you know the producer that produced uh, the the self titled album, uh-huh. uh, produced it. He, I got him out of retirement. For that. <laughs> oh, nice! But he's like, yeah, and um, and then Stu Stu's a bass player from uh, uh, he plays for Monty Shahu, but his band is called Dub Trio. And uh-huh. uh, they're just, he, he, he play he can do, he has more pedals, like effects pedals than any guitar player I've ever seen. And okay. he plays bass, but he knows how to use it, uses them really right. And so he's been teaching me stuff. I, I, I met him with, uh, at, with Sublime with Rome. We've, we've been playing shows in the last few years with Mata Shahu. And, 
and we became really good friends. And um, so we we sent like the songs that have the drum machine stuff on it over to him, and he he produced it. And it's just it's super amazing. Well, I can send you a couple of songs. If you I'd, I'd love to hear it. So just reiterate, you said it's called Spray Allen. Yeah. Right? Okay. Is it is this a widely known term, Spray Allen? Um, <laughs> you might want to Google it. Okay. I don't know if you want. I just I just did. <laughs> all right i had never heard that before yeah i never did either but um uh i think the guitar player eric sherman found it and we used it and then we fell in love with it <laughs> nice so how many guys are in the band uh four okay and, and then uh gabe that plays he's from no doubt he plays with uh sublime with rome and he he was over here uh he's from, he lives in norway now but he was just here for a couple of weeks and he, he laid down. Um, I got a B3 at my house and, and it's about time I got the, some good use out of it with him. And then he plays a trombone on a bunch of stuff too. Okay. What kind of music is it? It's a little different. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's sort of like Graham Parson meets, um, shit, I don't know, what would I it's kind of like some classic rock stuff, but then it's got like a, it's got like a, um, electronic music thing to it too and like none of the songs sound the same they're all they're all a lot different oh man i'm, I'm there's really so many different now. songs yeah I, I just have to say it's alternative yeah. <laughs> cool all right and then sublime with rome you said you guys are going to get in the studio pretty soon mm-hmm. yeah we're gonna uh we're doing a fall tour and then as soon as we get back from that we're gonna start recording again. oh is the tour still on at this point or do you just kind of have to assume yeah, it is like, until it's not well, yeah, there's there's actually there's, the first show is is for uh, Guarez, Mexico. Ah. And, they, and then we're going to, by then it should be opened up, I think, in August or something. Okay. So I'm thinking it's going to be cool by then. Well, you've obviously already done so much in your career. What do you what do you want your future to look like? Well, I'm, I'm, just what I'm doing is, is cool. I'll probably work for it until I, until I uh, die. Yeah. <laughs> Life is good. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I don't know. I get kind of bored when there's you know, nothing to do. Really. I'm going to ask a random one. Since I just rewatched that story, Tales, Lies, and Exaggeration, did uh, did Denny's ever come after you guys for unloading the bus sewage at their back door? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I sure did. Maybe they were just flattered to be in the video. It's probably a statute of limitations now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're, you're in the clear for sure. Are you more passionate about playing live shows or or creating new music? I like I like playing live shows, but I like playing in like smaller venues. And when we play at you know ten thousand or whatever or five thousand, whatever, I don't know. It's just like you know, it's not it's not the same as when you're playing like a in a club where you can actually see the people's faces and stuff. Yeah, but it's really cool creating new music too and playing it for people getting feedback and stuff you know i need to ask you before i forget what kind of bass strings do you play Ernie ball of course yeah <laughs> nice what gauge are you playing um 105s you, you know. do the 50 to 105 or 45 to 105 50 50s okay yeah regular slinky yeah i just got a care package from you guys i'm so stoked on it beautiful um, nice so how how is uh how's quarantine life been for you well like i said like i've just been recording and stuff it's You've been flourishing on it, you know, pretty yeah. much. For a lot of people, it's been, you know, terrible. And, and I feel bad for everybody. Um, 
we have a we uh, we have a bunch of guitars that my friend donated and, we, and I'm signing them and we're up, we're doing it. Man, I got to find out the info on that. Uh, uh, we're going to uh, sell them on some website to, uh, and donate the money to roadies that need the money. Our our roadies don't need it because we they're 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 getting paid um, pandemic leave or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But like the guitar player of Unwritten uh, Lot hit us up about it, and so I uh, I thought it was a great idea. He just wanted me to find like something that I could sign on. I found eight guitars, so that makes me feel really good about that. You know? Yeah, that's great. And then Sublime just we just did a show. We just uh, set up on my porch because I live out. I have the avocado ranch, and we don't have any neighbors really, so so we can do it out here. So we have the a full uh, like video crew and we did like a live streaming and the proceeds were went to some benefit for um you know people affected by the pandemic yeah yeah yeah, yeah we're selling a few guitars on our site to support the same thing cool let me know if you, need, you know if i can do anything yeah your audio just got so much clearer a second uh, like 30 seconds ago. i just got home <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry right. about that. No problem. Well, hey, how should people stay in touch with what, what you're doing, what you're up to with, with your different bands and projects? Well, I think we're going to have like some website pretty soon, but uh, you know, you got to understand I was born in 1970 and I remember like my friend's phone number still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like it's, I'm not, I'm not, I've never been much for Facebook or anything, but, um, yeah. but Sublime with Rome has a website and, um, and I'm sure Fairy Island will have one soon. Yeah, people we, look that up. Yeah, we have. We only played a couple of bars like before the pandemic when I first got together with these guys as far as Prairie Island goes. So we got to play, play some shows, and then you know we don't have we don't have no fans or nothing. Just just some songs. Yeah. Well, I'm intrigued for sure. I can't wait to hear that. All right, Eric Wilson. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in to Ernie Ball's Striking Accord podcast. As a longtime Sublime fan, big thanks to Eric Wilson for doing the interview. He's got lots of new, exciting things coming up, so looking forward to that. If you'd like to get a hold of us, please email strikingaccord at ernieball.com. <laughs>